Hello and welcome to Life Changes You. I'm Daniel and uh, this week I've had an opportunity or I'm, I'm going to have an opportunity to talk to Richard Dolan who's a therapist in the UK and he's from checkyourheaduk.co.uk and he's a therapist uh, talking about men's health and men's issues. He works predominantly with men. uh, So I thought it'd be really interesting to get his point of view and his side and what happens with men in therapy. So hello, Richard, how are you? Yeah, hello, Daniel. I'm good. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me on. Ah, it's a pleasure. And look, uh, Richard's actually talking at 9am in the morning and I'm talking at 8 o'clock on a Saturday night. So we're dedicated to the cause. Um, (laughs) So I just wanted to ask you a few questions about yourself first so people get to know who you are and then we'll get into talking about men's issues and around mental health. So firstly, if I ask you, um, what was your childhood like and was there anyone in your childhood that inspired you? Um, yeah, so I'd have to say I had a, I had a good childhood, I think. Um, interestingly, you and I, you know, when we connected on Instagram, uh, we kind of grew up in a similar similar part of the UK before you, you went out there. And I got fond memories of that time. Um, I think I spent a lot of time as a child in my own mind, if that makes sense. I was quite introverted and it took me a long time to kind of figure that out as I grew up. But I spent a lot of time... Um, probably indulging in kind of escapist stuff. I was really into sci-fi. Star Wars was a big thing for me. So I used to love that kind of stuff. And I loved, uh, I loved playing with Lego. So it was very creative. And what I kind of found very quickly was that the world um, was quite a harsh place, I think, really. I, I recognized I was quite sensitive early on in terms of picking up on emotions, picking up on what was going on with people. Yeah. And I didn't really understand it. Yeah. And it took me years to figure out that that was that kind of, you know, natural, intuitive empathy that, yeah. that you either got or you haven't which ultimately led me to to do what i do today but i think it meant that as a child the the world was quite a scary place because i picked up on a lot of things that other people didn't seem to pick up on yeah um and i didn't know whether i was imagining it or not and as i grew older i realized that i wasn't it's just that you know not everybody kind of is in tune with that uh, emotional side of things so you could have actually become a psychic. <laughs> <laughs> I've been called many things in my time, Daniel. A psychic is one of them as well. I think when you know when you kind of have that empathy and you pick up on things, people seem quite mystified by it. And, yeah, you know, and especially think, in a male. Oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. It's kind of like they they sort of take a step back and look at you a bit suspiciously, like you're some kind of uh, warlock or something like that. But uh, I think you know. I was that guy when I was younger that my friends would go to for advice. You know, if they wanted to talk about something serious or they wanted to talk about something confidentially, then they would they would approach me, you know. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I was the advice guy. All right. And so uh, what made you come into being a therapist? Obviously, your insightfulness and uh, your compassion, those sort of things. But what actually made you go, I really want to be a therapist? I think it was having done a series of jobs that were quite unfulfilling and, and I didn't really kind of go into any kind of particular career. And I've been working for a while in jobs. I, was, I, I remember the the point at which it really changed me. I was in a logistics role. So I was managing a fleet of um, like 40 drivers, um, you know, big waste disposal vehicles. So it's a very macho environment, very kind of, you know, masculine. Yeah. And uh I think that that was that was challenging at times because there's a lot of these guys, you know, they they drove big vehicles, um, you know, twelve hours a day because they they weren't really suited to any other kind of work, you know. Yeah. They they had trouble communicating, yeah. so I had to do a lot of communicating with them and on their behalf. And one of the things that I found fulfilling amongst all of that was being able to help people 
uh, arrive at some kind of positive outcome, not fix a problem or solve something, but to be able to facilitate conversation and communication that, that somehow, um, you know, delivered some kind of positive outcome, whether it was for my guys or my, my customers. And I kind of revisited ideas I'd had over the years about working in some sort of, you know, vocational capacity. And I looked into what the, you know, the training paths would be and uh, set about doing that. And it got to the point where I'd, I'd, I'd studied enough that to move to the next stage meant I would have had to change my working hours to accommodate the, the study required. And that role wouldn't let me do that because it wasn't, you know, it didn't benefit them. So at that point, I realized that I needed to change careers to an environment that was more receptive to you know, working on behalf of people. So that's when I got into health and social care. Yep. And then for the next 12 years, really, I, I kind of navigated within that system, which I know you're probably quite familiar with. Yeah. And what I did see was a lot of um, a lot of waste, a lot of politics, a lot of bureaucracy and red tape that really didn't serve the people that it was designed to support. Uh, I can see you shaking your head there. So I know you've had similar experiences, and I found that quite difficult to deal with by the end of it. And I couldn't, I couldn't sign up to that. Yeah. And uh, there was, if you've looked at my page, you'll see that I use a lot of film quotes to give context yeah, to yeah, kind yeah. of mental health issues and stuff. And uh, there was a quote that, from a Batman film that came to me, which was, uh, you either die a hero or live long enough to see yourself become the villain. And I realized that if I stayed in the system I was working with within any longer, I would become part of the problem that I wanted to, to work against. So yeah. that's when I realized I needed to strike out on my own. I'd have more chance of making a difference working with people one-to-one -one yeah. than within that kind of hierarchical system. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I mean, I agree with you. I worked for, which is now called the Department of Health and Human Services here in Australia. And when I first started out working with people with a disability, uh, it got to the point that in a six hour shift, I was doing like four hours of paperwork and two hours of contact with the yeah. client. Um, and that wasn't me. I came into it not to be a manager. Well, I wasn't even a manager. I was just doing all this paperwork to more or less say what you've done even though you hadn't had time to do anything with them because you were filling in so much paperwork so for me yep. when I started my own business it was great that I could actually sit down and work with these people with an intellectual disability and mental health issues and help them learn how to communicate better without them actually sitting down and me saying now this is how I want you to learn so we just have social groups and then I'll say to them oh well maybe if you said it like this you'd get a better response from that person or how about if you say something different like this rather than that and, and it's amazing to see these guys all blossom and come out of themselves men and women yeah. who yeah. pretty much have been put into I don't know if you have the same thing there but a lot of uh day programs that are more for let's get the numbers in because we can make some money from that whereas we only have yes. we only have seven people in our studio and there's two workers so really it's one to three and a half people and so they get a lot of contact a lot of information we talk about anything they want to do and also I say to them look we're not teachers we're all students so I'm learning stuff from you you're learning stuff from me and we're all on the same level there's no difference I have disabilities but minor illnesses you have disabilities that are either physical or mental health so together we're all disabled people working in the same room and mm. that breaks down a lot of barriers because otherwise they think oh you know you're the one going to teach me everything and i have to listen well we don't we all learn off each other. i learned so much off these guys since i've started this business anyway it's about you today it's about you <laughs> no no it's, it's really interesting and, and really admirable i think what you're describing there is uh, is the power of being relatable when you're when you're supporting somebody definitely um, well, I mean, I imagine it's similar for social workers or health workers over there as well, but the, the system does create a power dynamic that, uh, as you described there, uh, immediately puts the 
the client or the service user or whatever kind of depersonalizing terminology yeah, uh, is yeah. you know, being used. It puts them at the bottom and whoever is, you know, uh, quote unquote, supporting them yeah. in a position of power or influence over them. And and therefore, you, you've always got this imbalance, which is kind of quite unhealthy. And I think being uh, being relatable in a professional boundary way, but being relatable in that we're both human beings, we've both, you know, got emotions and feelings and experiences yeah. is something that's really, really powerful. And within with any kind of hierarchical system, it's built on maintaining that power dynamic. Yeah. And you're never going to be able to make that connection whilst there is a kind of a, an us and them mentality being perpetuated. Yeah. Well, look, I think I said to you uh, last week that I just lost my dad. And, you know, for me, I was I did have two weeks off work. But the day after he passed, I actually went in and I thought, look, I'm going to go in for 20 minutes, see the guys, just because they all know what's happened so that they know I'm okay. And I ended up staying an hour and a half. And I laughed and we joked and we played uh, the Wii and we did some painting. And really, it was the best thing for me at that time. And they all supported me. And that's what mm. I mean by when we all work on the same level and we're not saying I'm manager, you're participant. I mean, we do call them participants rather than clients or anything else because we think participants, we're participating with them. Um, But it was just such a really good feeling. And I left there feeling like still sad that I've lost my dad, but these guys made me feel normal again, if you know what I mean. So Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's very sad to hear about your loss. But what it sounds like you experienced there was you know, genuine human connection, which is incredibly powerful. Yeah. Um, and a, a lot of support systems work against, I think, that human connection. And certainly in my work, what I've found to be the most beneficial, and I know this is a challenge for a lot of therapists because we're taught uh, to be very boundaried and to, you know, to maintain that distance. And I think boundaries are absolutely necessary from an ethical perspective. But if you don't manage them on a human level, they can become barriers. Exactly. You know? so yeah, yeah, yeah. My boundaries are strong. I know where I where I sit, and I know, you know uh, how to manage those when I'm working with somebody. But what I found is that the the people that I have worked with are um, they they find my my being relatable a really you know kind of powerful part of our therapeutic relationship because I'm not like <clears throat> hey I'm I'm without issues I'm you know, I'm perfect. I'm like, I'm, I'm a guy. Yeah. I struggled with this. I struggled with that. You know, I can appreciate how you might feel about that because I've also felt like that. And and I think that is a really, really powerful thing rather than sitting there and pretending that you're some kind of automaton that's never felt anything ever, exactly. you know? And, and also, look, I mean, yeah, we have to have boundaries, but boundaries can be moved depending on the client and what the client's needs are. And that's not Absolutely. to say that we just drop them down and go, okay, this one's fine. We can just let them in. But you change. And if you're malleable and you're able mm-hmm. to see that this person actually needs a bit more from here, then you just change your boundaries to actually accept what they're saying and how they are. And then they're going to open up more to you than if you go, oh, actually, no, we don't talk about this or no, we can't go there. You know, yeah. it, it really opens up the conversation and gives them someone that they feel that they can actually open up to. Yeah, I think it's really important to be flexible and adaptable, as you say. And we should go where the client wants to take us yeah, um, rather than, you know, either lead them or hold them back. But I think a lot of therapists, um, and I'm making some broad statements here, so, uh, you know, th- this is just my limited perspective but i think a lot of a lot of therapists are so terrified of being seen themselves that they're very rigid in their approach and they aren't able to make that adjustment um and they're not truly being with that that client um because they are thinking well this is the way i do it and therefore this is the way the client must do it as well and it might work for some different modalities of obviously a little bit more directive or prescriptive but certainly the way i work is about building a relatable um connection with that 
other human being um and uh, uh you know and that being the foundation of the work that we do together and also you can see and this is just you know uh, an observation but some therapists counselors psychologists psychiatrists they're almost talking in the textbook style of how they've learned everything and it's like yeah. well you are like this so this is how it is i mean i hate statistics because i think statistics are based on such a small number but they say statistically in australia every second marriage is going to end in divorce, you know, 40% or 50% or 60%. But we only actually ask 1,000 people or 2,000 or 5,000. We don't ask the whole of Australia. So really, in reality, we're asking such a small amount, but we're saying that's a statistic that we're going to go by. Which yeah. So I would rather see the person and talk to them as a person and not bring any statistics into it. And that's one of my problems with psychology is that you learn the statistics. I know a few psychologists who don't go so much for statistics, and I think that's really admirable because putting people in boxes, we're doing the same thing as what everything else does, you know, and we yeah. need to be able to be free-flowing and thinking to go, actually, I don't need to put this person in a box because, yes, their marriage has failed and it's their second marriage. However, they've got this and this and this going for them and that wasn't affected by their marriage. The marriage was, this happened, you know, so there's so many different um, variables but a lot of people think just in what they've learned. This is the box that I need to put this person in. And this is the box I need to put this person in. So if you can be free-flowing, like it sounds like you more are, um, you'll, feel, you'll find that the, the patient person uh, is more vulnerable and will talk more openly about what their issues are rather than if you, they come in and you go, okay, so this is what we need to do. You're absolutely right about the boxes thing. And, yeah, I think that kind of extends to labels as well and diagnoses. Definitely. So, as soon as you put a label on somebody, uh, if it's certainly like uh, two that spring or well, three that spring to mind that are, I think, they've been appropriated by people who uh, have uh, you know, various different mental health issues or, or even just sort of mood shifts. But you've got BPD, OCD, and bipolar, yeah. and they they are they're thrown around now with careless abandon in a way that people either assume that if that label has been applied to something it is then that and will forever be that or people are actually looking for some kind of badge to pin upon themselves so they can define themselves by it and i find that could be sometimes helpful to somebody who perhaps wants some context to understand how you know why they feel the way they do and to see yeah. that there is a kind of a defined diagnosis is helpful but i try very hard to see whoever is set opposite me as a person a whole no, person yeah and not a label or a badge or a diagnosis because i think you can you can miss the nuances and the subtleties yeah. of uh, as you say what 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 created their situation you can just then put them into the box it says well you're like x y and z and everybody else that that's kind of had this experience as well yeah. and you know and if you do that you're not going to look for differences are you because if you categorize them into xyz you'll go that's how they are whereas there could be c over here that when you put that in the thing you go ah now i really understand what's going on absolutely yeah absolutely you 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 miss and you you end up making assumptions which i think is a really dangerous thing definitely i mean to to be fair as a therapist you will be presented with very similar themes and and quite often you know the 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 pattern of the trend is quite similar you know it will quite often be related to something that happened in childhood or something that didn't happen in childhood and then how that plays out as you get older, but the, uh, the you know the, the subtle things or the or the the kind of the random things that are unique to that individual are what make the difference in being able to understand how best to help them rather than to apply a blanket kind of yeah. approach. And you mentioned about sort of terminology or jargon, and I find that a lot of 
people that, that I work with, they don't necessarily want to be, it's like you, you go to the garage, you don't know anything about cars and the mechanic starts telling you about, you know, this flange and that bifold, you know, manifold this or whatever. I, as you can tell, I clearly don't know anything about no, cars. No, me neither. Yeah. But, but you, you, you know, you're not going to learn anything by being spoken to in a language that you don't speak. So I think yeah. being able to um, bring those theoretical concepts in, in a way which doesn't sort of... In layman's terms. Kind of, yeah, you, you've got to find a way of, of speaking to people in their own language because yeah. that's how they understand it. Um, and a, a lot of therapists just talk in jargon. I mean, all you've got to do is look on Instagram and see a lot of those pages that they're posting stuff which your average person would never have heard of yeah and won't necessarily understand and, and there's so much there like there's so much dialogue that you look at it yeah. and you go wow i don't even understand what this is yeah, you know I'm a therapist. I don't understand no <laughs> whereas if they put it in bite sizes which is what instagram's about you'd go oh actually i understand yeah. that thing what i was yeah. going to say to you about the point you just brought up was uh, when i have participants come in I'll get like a behavioural record and an uh, an enrolment form, and generally mm-hmm. I, I go through it and I might go, oh look, there's um, uh, schizophrenia or there's bipolar, but then I'll wait and see the person, and then if after a couple of weeks I go, actually there's something not quite right there, I'll go back and I'll go, okay, that is schizophrenia, or that is some yeah. of the parts of schizophrenia, so that's why we're having these problems. However, if I was to just read it through and judge them on what someone else has judged them as, some of these people I wouldn't even bring into the studio because I'd go, wow, I don't know if I can handle this, you know? Yes. But when you meet them and you get to know their personality, you find out that actually a lot of the things they've been classed as are only small parts and they are a Mm -hmm. lot different to how it also goes with how you treat someone. If you treat someone with positive regard, they're going to treat you the same. If you start yelling at them and going, well, you can't do that. Well, stop, don't do that. Then they're going to go, oh, well, why are you yelling at me? You know, so. Yeah, Yeah, I think it's really easy to just make a judgment based on a few kind of, uh, uh, you know, lines on a a bit of paper or written in a box. And and when I do my assessments, I I will look at those things. But my explanation to the people I'm working with of why I'm taking this information is, some of it I'm legally obliged to to hold for safeguarding purposes, um, but the rest of it is more about just having really high level touch points that they feel are relevant to what's brought them there today, rather than me saying I want to know about this or I want to know about that. I find it usually comes out in the conversation anyway, yeah. but it's more about well, what do you feel are the relevant points in your life? You know, from childhood or from your relationship memories, or you know, if there's been any experiences you've had within you know psychiatric institutions or medication before they'll tell you things which i think it's often their perception uh, which is more valuable than looking at it as a kind of a checklist and and if you as you say if you look at it independent of the person you can make some assumptions which don't match up with that human being when you actually meet them you know yeah yeah, yeah. you've got to create space for the person to come into it i think so what do you think um some of the main issues are of people who come to visit you and I'm, I don't mean like all the confidential stuff but you know what 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 sort of people do you usually have coming into your center and, and has COVID affected that in any way um <clears throat> yeah COVID's affected it massively so I work privately um yeah. and for the most part I've been working online yeah. um, because obviously a lot of face-to-face working was restricted through lockdown over here uh, that started to ease so I have started to work face-to-face with a couple of people who haven't been 
comfortable with the idea of working online yeah but where i live uh, i live in bournemouth which is um right on the coast so the, the beach for me is about less than half a mile away and uh, there's some lovely open area down there so i do walk and talk sessions oh that's a good uh, idea which has enabled me to work safely yeah. outdoors with people and what i've found is that has been particularly uh, attractive to men yeah who i think I mean, I've I've worked predominantly with men, not out of uh, any uh, choice. Although I'm I'm starting to gravitate towards that, but because men have been seeking me out, yeah. And I think that's because I I offer something that isn't currently out there, which is I'm a, I'm a younger male therapist who doesn't look like others. You know, like uh, I, I look fairly young. I've got tattoos. Um, I get a lot of guys. You don't have the long grey hair and a moustache. <laughs> no, no, I don't look like the I don't Albert know, like Einstein your or your dad or something like that. Yeah. So I think what they see is they think, hey, he looks like me. He looks like he might understand. And I've had quite a few people say, yeah, you look like somebody that I, I could feel comfortable talking to or that I might go to the pub with or something. Yeah. Which on one hand, yeah, I'm not there to be their friend, but I think for guys especially, they need to feel uh, safe and they will look at some very basic parameters like can I have a beer with this guy is the sort of question you'd ask yourself as a guy yeah so um, there's that and then combined with the outdoor therapy I think that not doing it in a room where the kind of the four walls can be quite judgmental or those words can hang in the air yeah when you're out and about just having a walk it's much easier for guys to open up so that's something I've seen really take off uh, in in the last sort of 12 months that is a great idea to walk and talk with people because I mean, I've always thought back years ago, I thought, wouldn't it be great to have people and just go to the park and sit and talk and have a coffee over yeah. a table and, you know, because it's a lot more relaxed than being in a room where, you know, sometimes even yourself, you feel like, oh, God, I'm stuck here all day. You know, I can't get out of here. <laughs> yeah, it definitely does help to get out for, for my benefit, because if you're doing like, you know, five or six, <clears throat> excuse me, five or six on the trot, and being sat in the same room, you know, or even being sat on a, on a Zoom call, you know, yeah. one after the other. Like I've got, I've got one after this podcast, and uh, you know, I'll be gagging to get out once once that's done. But uh, there are a lot of people that were doing it before. I think it was more of a kind of a nature therapy type of thing. So it was yeah. a little bit more about you know, kind of getting being at one with nature, you know, seeing the grass and that kind of thing, which is great. But I think again, a lot of guys, um, well, a lot of people in general, don't necessarily want to go full kind of twigs and berries they want to just be able to have a walk outside (laughs) yeah yeah, yeah. Um, so it's yeah it's definitely uh, a less restrictive way of creating a safety for people to start talking and then what i've had is i've had guys who i've started doing outdoors with and then as we've got to the point where it it starts to get to the nub of it we then move it indoors because they feel safe and comfortable to be able to have a little bit more of an intimate discussion yeah and um, with um, where you just said twigs and berries, I mean, that seems a bit more like a, a mindfulness sort of thing to do, doesn't yeah. it? And I, I think with people I talk to, when you try and explain mindfulness, they're like, oh, I can't deal with that crap. Or I've tried, it doesn't work. And you go, well, you actually have to keep trying at it and then you get better yes. and then you find that it works. I mean, my mum, I've tried mindfulness with her and she'll do it for a little while and then she'll go, no, nah, look, it didn't work. And I go, yeah, but it does yeah. the more you do it. Yeah, I think that's uh, indicative of the world that we live in, this instant gratification kind of culture is that we, uh, yeah, that didn't work. I said, I'm not going to try again. You know, you have to put the time in, you have to practice. And 
Uh, yeah, just the whole twigs and berries comment there. That was a little bit dismissive, I think, because it is really it <laughs> no, is no, no. Really it wasn't because no. Look, and and some therapists would do that sort of thing because uh, you know I know I used to work with a guy who had um, early onset Alzheimer's, and I would take him yeah. for a walk to the park. Now, when he was home, he didn't make any sense to his family. But when we went for mm. a walk, I'd say, "Oh, can you hear that dog barking?" And he'd go, "Yes, I can." Or he'd say, "Oh, yeah. did you hear that bird?" So. You know, sometimes it's good for those people to, and it breaks down barriers by them listening to different things around them. It really does, and it, and it is fantastic. And and I guess I that's not something that I, I I'm certainly not trained to do that. And there are you know courses that you can go on. There are disciplines that you can kind of develop skill sets around, which I haven't done. So I recognise that it's not something that anybody can just go out there and do. And it's definitely something that can help people who. Uh, who who need something that's a little bit more focused, or perhaps need to detach from you know their 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 immediate environment and kind of engage in something a little bit more um, not not so much spiritual, but perhaps a little bit more uh, you know holistic, just that being present in the moment. And there are people out there that do it really really well, but I know that, that I'm not one of those people. And what I can do is work in a certain way that plays to my strengths. And my whole goal as a therapist is to be the most effective therapist that I can, yep. which I recognize is not going to be for all clients, you know, and I try, I think trying to be all things to all clients means that you're going to fail some where you could perhaps work, uh, you know, a, a little bit more to, to their needs. Um, is there a sort of style of therapy that you actually work more with than others? I'm, uh, I'm an integrative therapist and it's a talking therapy. So, yeah, yeah. you know, I, I don't tend to work in a solution focused way as much. Yep. Uh, it's about, and, and this is where, especially with guys, I kind of de-risk it by saying, look, this is going to sound really kind of cliched and, you know, a little bit kind of hippy trippy, but it is about creating trust. It is about creating a safe space for you to feel okay with. And I can almost sort of see them or hear them kind of tense up at the idea of that because it sounds so threatening yeah, yeah. to them having lived a lifetime of avoiding uh, that kind of uh, that intimacy. But I think, you know, what we are, I'll, I'll own it and say what I am good at is creating a rapport quite quickly for guys to be able to think, oh, actually, this is safe for me to let my guard down a bit. Yeah. And then once they do, it all starts coming out and then we've got something to work with and something to play with. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, well, yeah. is there anything you want to add? Because we're running out of time. You've got a client coming <laughs> soon and I don't want to hold you up. But is there anything that you really want to talk about that you think is important for men's mental health? I think just just to talk to somebody, you know, exactly. the, the, the judgment that you fear is out there is is more in your own head than perhaps you realise because the world is changing. And the reality is that um, we can't live this kind of uh, outdated idea that men uh, don't have emotions and and if they do, it somehow makes them weak because, yeah. you know, for us to be good husbands, to be good fathers, um, to be good, you know, healthy people, we need to accept ourselves as a whole. And I think society for a long time has been very focused on getting men to repress parts of them that don't fit with these stereotypes that, you know, come yeah. from 80s action films and no. stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's uh, you will be a stronger if, if being strong is what you want to do as a man, you will be stronger for, for facing up to the parts of yourself that scare you. Yeah. Okay. You know, so, so to do that and you'll find a strength within it, but, but there are people there uh, and you also don't have to speak to the first person you find, you know, it's your choice. You can, you can go through as many therapists as you like until you find the one that fits you. You know, the power lies with you. Make that call. And I think, as you just said, I mean, uh, uh, the fear of, 
other people what they might think in reality is those other people aren't even thinking about you going to a therapist. They don't even care. You know, <laughs> it's the last no. thing on their mind. They've got their own worries. So you saying, oh, I went to a therapist. They're like, oh, yeah, did you? Well, okay, cool. I've got this to worry about, you know. So yeah. it, it's really that you just need to make the move and go, look, I'm going to a therapist. I'm going to see what I can do. If it doesn't work for me, nothing lost. But at least yeah. I've gone and had a go. Rather than sitting back and going, oh, I hope the people at the pub don't go, oh, what are you going to the mental health person for? In, in actual fact, he should be going in and saying, well, I went to see a therapist because I had a few issues and now I've sorted them out. And the other people in the pub would go, shit, I should do the same thing. Absolutely. That's, I tell you what, if they're thinking anything, it's probably that. And what they'll probably do is on the slide, get in touch with you and say, can I have their number? Yeah. And, yeah. That, you know, uh, and that is what they'll be thinking. If anything, they'll be thinking, I wish I was brave enough to do that. Yeah. Well, look, I mean, I don't know if you've seen on Instagram, but something I keep putting up is normalise, don't stigmatise and make yeah. anxiety, depression, everything just normal. And I know it's going to take yeah. years and it might never happen, but we've got to push that it, it is normal to have mental health issues. Everybody has anxiety, but yet everybody yeah. goes, oh, no, I've got really bad anxiety. Yeah, I have it too. I have some social anxiety. I have some anxiety about this and that. Oh, do you? Yeah, yeah. Everybody has anxiety. There's not one person on the planet with anxiety. But no, everybody, it's being human. because it's a label, you go, oh, my God, I've just been told I've got anxiety. Yeah, I've got it too. Yeah. Oh, have you? Yeah. You know, so it's normal. Absolutely. And depression. Yeah, we all feel depressed normal. at times. We're not all yeah. happy jumping around, clapping up in the air. <laughs> that no, sounds really ridiculous. That's, that's, <laughs> that's another myth I dispel as well. Just because you're a therapist doesn't mean you've got your own stuff sorted out. No, <laughs> you know? no. You know, it's just you're just more aware of it. That's all. Yeah, definitely. All right, Rich. Look, it's been absolutely fantastic to talk to you. I'm glad you came on. I hope you're happy yeah, you. when it goes out. When you have a listen back, um, and maybe in the future you can come back on and we can talk about some, you know, specific issues to do with men's mental health. Yeah, I'd love to. I really appreciate you having me on and, and thank you very much for your time. All right, no worries. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Okay. Well, that was another episode of Life Changes You. If you want to contact us, we're available on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. And we also have a website, lifechangesyou.com.au. So until next time, take care of each other and thanks for listening. Thank you.